Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to PMP Exam Power Prep. In PMP Exam Power Prep, this is where we take our studying to the next level. Getting ready for the PMP exam nowadays has become very challenging. It doesn't matter whether you're taking the current exam or the pilot exam, you have to get this book, the PMBOK guide, under control. And that is exactly what we are aiming to do in this session. We want to get the PMBOK guide under control, the knowledge areas. So you might have read the content outline for the PMP exam. It could be the so-called new content outline or the 2015 content outline. Doesn't make a difference. The PMI is gonna be looking for pay from you. When I say pay, I'm not talking about money. They're gonna be looking for you to articulately delineate fact from fiction. Inputs have to be known, tools and techniques have to be known, cold and outputs. So even if you're taking a pilot exam, there's no escape. And the reason why I put this together on Saturday as we were talking and in creative discussion, I realized, my goodness, our folks don't really know the PMBOK guide well enough. So we're gonna have to go back to ground zero, start off from integration and have a conversation to get you to where you need to be. And that's exactly what we're gonna to do tonight. So for those of you that have checked out the site, you saw the curriculum for today on pmanonymous.com. And I'm just gonna read from it really quick. But the curriculum, it says, session one, how to master the integration flow concepts scope management tonight as well, and schedule management. And we've got two hours to do this. So do the math. You've got seven processes in integration, six in scope, six in schedule. That's 19. Divide 19 into two. So we need to be hidden eight and a half processes every hour to be able to get done, okay? And that does not include questions. Now, at the end of it, I am gonna stay behind for another 15 minutes to answer any questions you have. But right now, it is time to jump into integration. So what is integration management is my question to you. Chat into me if you've got a ready description or idea about what integration is. Because the PMBOK guide has got its own idea I'm hoping your idea tallies with the PMBOK guide. So what is integration? Chat into me. If you've got one or two ideas about integration, chat them in and we will begin to have a discussion here. And we're going straight to chapter four. Video says what page? We are going to chapter four and we're starting off from page 69. So I'm going to read it. It says project integration management includes the processes and activities to identify, define, combine, unify, and coordinate the various processes and project management activities. Take a look at those words. Identify, define, combine, unify, and coordinate. So the bottom line is this. In integration, you're trying to understand the project more. You're trying to unravel the mysteries 
of your project to understand how they can be combined and unified to give you the end result of success. That's what it is. Now, in addition to this, my friends, I want you to be aware of certain pages in the PMBOK guide that are going to be somewhat tested on your exam. Now, I don't know the degree to which they will be tested, but I do know that the PMI have got their eyes on this page. The page I want you to look at is uh, 72, 73, 74. So let's start off with 72 at a high level. You need to know the key concepts of integration and the same for every other knowledge area. Now, if you look here, it says, project integration management is specific to project managers. Wow. So what, what about scope? Not specific to them. Other people do that. What about cost? You've got financial and accounting folks. They do that. What about risk? You've got people who are risk experts. No, but integration is different. This is where everything comes together and the project manager is responsible. It says, whereas other areas may be managed by specialists, for example, cost analysis, scheduling specialists, risk experts, the accountability of project integration management cannot be delegated or transferred. So they are trying to tell you, your project manager, you are responsible for integration. Now the next page, let, let's go over to 73 because I'm expecting that you're gonna read all the rest on your own, right? Do that. Trends and emerging practices in project integration management. Use of automated tools, use of visual management tools, project knowledge management, expanding the project manager's responsibilities and hybrid methodologies. Let's talk about these at a high level. Use of automated tools like the PMIS, these days you have so many organizations using a project management information system of sorts. There's so many. In fact, this afternoon, I learned about another one that I hadn't heard of before. I was speaking to an engineering company and they said, oh, we use this. I'm like, wow, I've not heard that before. Use of visual management tools. It says some project teams use visual management tools rather than written plans and other documents to capture and oversee critical project elements. It says, making key project elements visible to the entire team provides a real-time overview of the project status. This is known in the world of Agile and Scrum as an information radiator. It is not here, but an information radiator radiates the information. It could be a signboard. It could be a big old TV screen a plasma screen, you walk straight into where the team is co-located and it has all of the metrics, all of the information pertaining to now on the project. That is what they're talking about, visual management tools. It says project knowledge management. So the idea about lessons learned being very important, that is catching like wildfire. Project knowledge management. It says the increasingly mobile and transitionary workforce requires a more rigorous process of identifying knowledge. I know some of you right now, right there on your phone, you have got your smart sheets or your Microsoft Project 365 or whatever they call it. You've got all of these dashboards that you can access right from your phone. That is what is happening in the world of integration. Expanding the project manager's responsibilities. Project managers are being called to initiate and finalize the project. 
such as project business case development and benefits management, such and such. From reading this, you can tell the project manager's role is becoming even larger. More is being put on the project manager's plate. It is therefore important for you to realize integration is our responsibility. Then we've got hybrid methodologies. So the whole idea about hybrid, to understand it, you need to know agile and how to mix agile and predictive, all right? We're on page 73. For those of you that were wondering where we are, we're at the end of page 73. Now we're going to page 74. Look, if possible, get a big old post-it note, slap it on page 74. I want you to read this page because I don't know where these guys are gonna come from. But one thing I do know, the considerations for agile, adaptive environments for every knowledge area. Will you do me a favor this week? Lunchtime, take this thing with you, sit down and read these three areas for this week. Integration, scope, schedule, not the entire book. I just want you to sit down and let considerations for agile marinate. I want it to sink in. Let, let's, let's take a quick look and some of the key things here, it says, iterative and agile approaches promote the engagement of team members as local domain experts in integration management. The team members determine how plans and components should integrate. So in the world of agile, you do know the project manager is not in the forefront. It's the self-organizing team. Some of you were in the agile class. You know about this. And I, I want you to begin reading about agile more so that if for any reason, whether on the current exam, whether on the pilot exam, whether in your day-to-day, -day, if you come across a discussion about Agile, I want you to really know what that means to you, okay? It says, the expectations of the project manager, as noted in the key concepts for integration management, do not change in an adaptive environment, but control of the detailed product planning and delivery is delegated to the team. So in the world of Agile, it's about that self-organizing team. It is so important for you to realize that. Okay, now with that out of the way, we have set the pace and the tone for what we need to talk about tonight. We need to talk about the seven processes of integration. And we are going to be doing that right away. Let's start off with the very first process it's called Develop Project Charter. What exactly are we doing here? We are creating a document, and if you take a look, you actually see this, the Project Charter, that way. The Project Charter is a document. That's all it is. In fact, I will show you one. It is a document that authorizes your project, and it's created by an entity outside of the project known as the Project Sponsor but we also call the project sponsor the project initiator. And it could be a manager, but it had better be a senior manager whose signature or whose email carries some weight. Because not just anyone is, is meant to develop a charter and authorize it, no. The stamp of approval carries weight. And that's why the sponsor is by far one of the most important people in the PMBOK guide. So what we're really trying to do is come out with that thing over there called a project charter, one. And two, we're also trying to come out with a log of assumptions and constraints. 
So if you really want to execute this process well, you need to have some sort of template, some sort of guidance for creating a charter. Now, let me show you what the PMI have got on page 81. If you go to page 81, they tell you what this thing called the project charter is meant to do. It says, page 81, I hope you're following, page 81, let's go. It says, the project charter is the document issued by the project initiator or sponsor that formally authorizes the existence of a project and provides the project manager with the authority to apply organizational resources to project activities. It documents the high level information on the project and on the product service or result. The project is intended to satisfy such as project purpose, measurable project objectives and related success criteria. Now, I don't know about you, but in my PMBOK guide, I highlight stuff. You see all those highlights? Why do I highlight stuff? So that when I'm going through my final review for my PMP exam, or whatever the exam is, for whatever purpose, I am going straight laser focused to those highlighted items. And that, my friends, is what I want you to do. So where we have all of these bullets from project purpose all the way on down, this stuff is gold for your exam. Current exam, 2020 July 1st exam, pilot exam, you have to know this stuff. So, so there's one here that I would like you to circle with a little bit more emphasis. It is the key stakeholder list. Because a lot of times people mix up the key stakeholder list and the stakeholder register. No, not the same thing. The key stakeholder list is a piece of your project charter but it's not your stakeholder register. Now to really drive home the point, to make sure that we really get it, I am going to show you a project charter. That's right, a project charter from the world of the PM and I. However, this project charter has some information, fictitious information in it, and you might find this especially helpful to really grasp what it is. So there we go. There is an example of a project charter. Title, sponsor, project manager, project purpose, the project description, high level project and product requirements, summary budget, initial risks, summary milestones, project objectives, success criteria, and all that stuff. Okay, that is a project charter. This is what your friends at the PMI expect you to know. Take a look at it, get to know it. Now in the last session we had on Saturday, I talked about a particular website where you can get all of these similar looking templates for free. It is tiny.cc forward slash sigma, as in Six Sigma, PMO. Now, I have got the long link. I'm going to put the long link into the chat. So here it is again. Okay. All right. Do you see that? That link 
take a look at a project charter there, but I want you to have experienced the project charter for yourself, okay? And that's what it looks like. So, with all of that said, the project charter and the assumption log are what you're trying to get from this process. The inputs, the business documents, when you talk about business documents, we're talking about a business case. It makes a case for the project, but the business case does not just appear suddenly. There's a history about it. Now, I want you to follow me to the PMBOK guide. Let's go to where this image will show you how the business case transitions into being part and parcel of the developed project charter process. It's on page 30. Page 30, it says, the project business case is a documented economic feasibility study. Mark those words, documented economic feasibility study, used to establish the validity of benefits of a selected component lacking sufficient definition that is used as a basis for the authorization of further project management activities. Let me make it simple for you because the language is just so far out. What they're saying is the project, the business case comes before the project charter and it is used to defend why you should be working on the project. But if you look at the image that came before that paragraph, figure 1-8, mark it down, it says, pre-project work, and under that you've got needs assessment. The needs assessment precedes the business case. If you look down the last paragraph on page 30, it says a needs assessment often precedes the business case. The needs assessment involves understanding business goals and objectives. In other words, business unit X, what are you trying to achieve? What are the needs you really have? And from that, you go into a business case where certain alternatives are described, you see? So the needs assessment has to come first. The needs assessment involves understanding business goals and objectives, issues and opportunities, and recommending proposals to address them. The results of the needs assessment may be summarized in the business case document. The process of defining the business need, analyzing the situation, making recommendations, and defining evaluation criteria is applicable to any organization's projects. A business case may include, uh-oh, here we go, but is not limited to documenting the following. Then you've got a whole slew of bullets. You've got to understand business needs, what's there, analysis of the situation, what's there, and all this stuff talked about in bullets, example of criteria categories used for analysis of the situation are what is required, what is desired, what is optional. And then the options, do nothing, do the minimum work to address the problem or opportunity, do more than the minimum work to address the problem or opportunity. All that is on page 31. And then when you go to the next page, here's the punchline, the recommendation. What is, what, what is this thing all gonna lead to? What should we finally do? We should do this. So it says the recommendation, a statement of the recommended option to pursue in the project. Items to include in the statement include analysis results for the potential option, constraints, assumptions, success measures, and implementation approach and evaluation. So if you've ever done one of these, they ask you to put in three options and usually you 
will defend the one you think is best. And that option could end up being the beginnings of the project. But if management say, no, this business case does not make a case for the project, then you don't have a project charter. So your project charter, right? The only way you're gonna get a project charter in the world of the PMI, if we're following the, the idea, is if you have truly done a needs assessment in one form or another, rough or formally documented, you've done a business case, and then this one is what a lot of people forget, the benefits management plan. My goodness, what an important document. A lot of people don't have a benefits management plan. And do you know what that leads to? Not knowing when you've arrived at your destination. Because if you've got a benefits management plan, what are the benefits we are targeting on this project? I don't know. You don't know the benefits that you're meant to gain from your project? No, we just wanna spend money. What? You need a benefits management plan. Absolutely need one. Because it's gonna tell you what benefits you're targeting. And it's gonna tell you the time frame for those benefits. When do you think those benefits will be realized? And the criteria for marking those benefits is done. That is the next thing I wanna talk about, page 33. Let's read, it says, the project benefits management plan is the document that describes how and when the benefits of the project will be delivered and describes the mechanisms that should be in place to measure those benefits. It's simple enough, right? And then you've got what is in the plan, target benefits, the expected tangible or intangible value, strategic alignment, how well the project benefits align to the business strategies of the organization, the time frame for realizing the benefits. The benefits owner, there's actually a person called the benefits owner. A lot of organizations, they don't do this, they just do projects and no one is keeping track of the benefits. So at the end of the day, you either don't know when you've arrived at your destination or you couldn't care, no one is using the system, no one is using the vessel, no one is using whatever facility you've worked on because there's no benefits manager. So no one's using it, your company is not realizing the benefits bad. You don't want to do that. You want to have a benefits management plan. You want to have your benefits owner. And the last three bullets here, metrics. How are you going to measure? How are you going to measure? So someone says usability is a benefit. People are going to be using the system. All right, how do you measure that? How do you know? You come up with an idea of the metrics, the assumptions, factors expected to be in place or to be in evidence regarding the benefits and risks. They are project risks, but they're also benefit risks. So a benefit risk, for example, you spent half a million dollars working on a new system to make life easier for your PMO. No one's using it. You should have realized that as a risk. Now, what could cause that benefit to not be used? This is not the project. You've, you've delivered the system, the software, but you're not getting the benefit. Do you get what I'm saying? So as you get ready for the PMP exam, when you talk about develop project charter, it is so important that you realize that, okay? Now, in this detailed look here, even though the PMI does not include it, um, I did uh, the benefits management plan. I decided to put it in there because it is truly one of the business documents and you should know your business documents, all right? So as you can see here, the project charter and the assumption log, those are your outputs. The tools and techniques are pretty straightforward. Um, I'm actually doing a series on YouTube where I'm gonna be going through various tools and techniques. But here you've got expert judgment, 
data gathering to gather data for the charter, um, interpersonal and team skills to work with the team as you're putting the charter together, whoever is on the team, because you know right now you've kind of got a skeletal team. You don't have a big old team. You have a few people probably. So you want to have meetings with those, the sponsor, other stakeholders, people like that. And that's why you've got meeting management there and then meetings, you know, and the gold zone, you know, I just say the gold zone. I always have a gold, a bar gold at the end of every process. Gold zone for the exam is all that I've talked about this evening so far. You've got to know your charter, the details. For, for you, if you're taking the current exam, that is a chunk of marks, my goodness. And if you're taking the pilot exam, that is baked into all of these processes or tasks all over the place. So whichever exam you're studying for, you must know this content. It is inexcusable. And that's why I put these classes together to really sensitize you to the importance of knowing your 49 processes, your tools and techniques, your inputs and outputs. So important. All right, so that's it. Let's go to our next one, develop project management plan. This is very straightforward. This doesn't need that much conversation. On every project, if we fail to plan, we are planning to fail. So what do we do? We plan across all the tiny little bitty knowledge areas. We have a plan for scope, a plan for schedule, a plan for cost, a plan for quality, resources, communications, risk, procurement, stakeholder, everything. We plan everything, requirements. We plan the whole thing. But then every plan should speak to the other plans. So we want to put all those plans together in one big old master plan. But you know what? In order to do that, we need a very important input. First of all, we need to have the project charter that came before it. Because remember, your project charter is the first thing you get. Secondly, we need this outputs from other processes. Aha. Do you know what those are? Plans and baselines. Page 89. So some of you have got this MP3 where I talk about all the components. You got to listen to it. Don't just save my stuff. Put it on your MP3 player. Or, well, who has an MP3 player these days? Everyone uses a phone or an iPad. Put it on your device, whatever device you're using. Listen to it because I'm just going through all of the 89 on that MP3 from start to finish. You want to go check out all the MP3s I've been sending you. So if you go to page 89 in the Pembroke guide, all of these tiny little sub plans and baseline components, that is exactly what they're referring to here when they say outputs from other processes because all of those things come from other processes. All of those subsidiary plans, all of those baselines, they don't come from this process. They come into it and they are used. What do we do? We apply expert judgment, we gather data, we use interpersonal and team skills, we have meetings, and what do you get at the end? At the end, voila, you get your project management plan. Now I want to show you a version of the project management plan just to get you in the zone so you know what exactly PMI is going on about when they say project management plan. Your project management plan is a collection of many subsidiary plans as evidenced on page 89. So let's take a look at the project management plan. Here's an example. 
you can see they've got sections for different things, variance and baseline management. How are you gonna manage the baselines? How are you gonna manage variances? How are you gonna have project reviews? How are you gonna tailor? And then all of these subsidiary plans. Some of them don't exist anymore in the world of the PMI, they call them something else. We don't have a process improvement plan, but some companies do. This is now called a resource management plan. Some companies will even throw in a health and safety plan. I went out to train a company in Boston. They almost heckled me on the stage for not giving them a health and safety plan. I'm like, spare me, please. The PMI said you can add other plans to it. It's not a one size fits all. You know, choose your own adventure, do whatever you will. So my friends, your project management plan is a collection of all of these things on page 89. Scope, requirements, schedule, everything all the way to the end. But you know what I want you to do as an assignment? Make a note to yourself right now. Say, I need to study page 86 to page 89. Because all the definitions of these things, they are here. Now this is something I wanna call out. This is a very, very important part of this process. On your exam, you are going to hear people talking about change management and a change management plan. Well, you know the truth? The change management plan does not appear anywhere in this book as an output. But in this process, develop project management plan, this is where you craft your change management plan because it's an overarching plan across all the knowledge areas. How are you gonna manage change in scope, in scheduling, cost, in risk? Where else do you think you do it? You do it right here, okay? So when someone says change management plan, you gotta think develop project management plan. It's part of it. Another thing, for those of you in the engineering space and you do AutoCAD and drafts and so on, did it ever occur to you that there should be a plan for how to version those drawings or specs? Maybe you're in IT, hardware configuration. We call it configuration because you need to document all of that stuff regarding its configuration. We call it configuration management. So be it deliverables, be it drawings, be it widgets, there's a method to how we configure them. There's a method to how we version them. And that's what configuration management is all about. So if you go here to Pembok, let's read real quick, page 88, it says, describes how the information about the items of the project and which items will be recorded and updated so that the product, IT configuration, engineering drawings, service or result of the project remains consistent and or operative. So you don't wanna have a new configuration and you got no clue how it was before, you change it, everything falls apart. No, you wanna document how everything was put together. Which version, which version of the bolts are you using? Which drawing version is it? And stuff like that. Versioning, configuration items, all that talk is here. But it all comes together in the configuration management plan. Okay? Let's get into the gold zone. In the gold zone, on the exam, what I expect them to test you on is page 89. 
you got to know page 89, okay? Tools and techniques are very similar to those in Develop Project Charter, expert judgment, gathering data for the project management plan, interpersonal and team skills, and meetings, which, of course, you know what those are. So that's Develop Project Management Plan. Let's get into a very meaty process. Direct and manage project work. Why do I say it's a meaty process? Because without this, without all this stuff, all this activity, you will not get to your end goal. Why? Take a look, it's right here. Right there at the top, deliverables. Without a deliverable, tell me if your project will ever close. It won't. So this process, direct and manage project work, is where you get the master, the master key to closing your project. If you don't get a deliverable out, you ain't even started. You get a deliverable out, and that deliverable has to be accepted. So without this process, your project would not end. So what do I want you to do as you study? As you study, three things I want you to remember. One, your deliverables, that's an output. Two, your work performance data, that's another output you must absolutely remember. Unforgivable if you do not remember where WPD comes from. And you know the PMI, they take no prisoners. <laughs> They're very unforgiving with these big bulky outputs. These are so important. WPD is so important because it's your raw observations that you're gonna analyze and get work performance information from, and that work performance information gets put into a report. But it all starts from here, all right? WPD, and the last one is issue log. So if you're reading director managed project work, you need to know that this is where the work is done. This is where the work is done. Let's take a look. Director managed project work. The very first process in executing. It is so important. So let's read. The page 90. Direct and manage project work is the process of leading and performing the work, defining the project management plan and implementing approved changes. Uh-oh. This one right here. Approved change requests. That's what they're referring to. So they're telling you that this is the process, not only where you create the deliverable, but it's also the process where you get an approved change request and you work it. You get an approved change request and you put it back into production. That's what they're saying. It says, implementing approved change request to achieve the project's objectives. The key benefit of this process is that it provides overall management of the project work and deliverables, thus improving probability of project success. And by the way, Two things I want you to do as you read the PMBOK guide. One, I want you to take a look at all of the 49 processes. Every process has a place where it says, the key benefit of this process is, voila. You need to know all those key benefits. Even if you don't memorize them, read them once so that the context will make sense when you see it on the exam, okay? A few questions might allude to the benefit of a process. You wanna know that, okay? So again, the core things you're getting from here, if you take a look at page 90, you pretty much see what I've got here, you know, deliverables, 
WPD issue log, change requests, that's okay. The project management plan updates, project documents updates, OP updates, all well and good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the three big ones are the ones I'm talking about. So with that said, let's go straight into the gold zone. Get into the gold zone. There's the gold. Gold zone in the inputs. This one you have to remember. Approve change request, you must remember that this is an input. Okay? Because you are working the change request that's been approved. The next thing you must not forget are these ones. Deliverables, WPD, and the issue log. Deliverables, WPD, issue log. They do not come from any other process. So you know I'm a stickler for what is the original process this came from. You must know that. Deliverables comes from here. Issue log comes from here. WPD comes from here. All right? Very good. All right. Now, with that said, we're going to do a very, very slight tire kick. Very, very slight. I want to sensitize you guys to the importance of the PMBOK guide and actually reading it. So I'm going to share with you a question, a question for your amusement. Here we go. And I'm going to share a poll. For those of you who are new to the polling system, nobody knows who is voting on what. All right, so don't, don't be nervous. No one knows that it's you. <laughs> no one knows who voted what. Here is your question. And here is your poll. Let's launch it. I'm going to give you guys a minute, 12 seconds to answer this question. Go for it. All right, five, four, three, two, and one. So let us stop the poll and I'm going to share the results, okay? Stop the poll and let's share the results. There you go, okay. So, this question is a direct cutout of page 20. And you can go to page 20 
and let me know what you think. Page 20. So this is why you need to read your PMBOK guide. If you have not read your PMBOK guide, page 20, you could get this wrong very easily. So everybody chose A, but everybody's wrong. See? Why is everybody wrong? Because you're choosing process group names. There's a difference between a process group, groups of processes, initiating, planning, executing, monitoring, and controlling, and closing, versus a phase. Process groups are not phases. Phases are segments of a project life cycle. The project life cycle has phases. Initiating and closing are process groups. They are not project phases. Okay? So let's read here. Page 20. Second paragraph. Projects may be separated into distinct phases or subcomponents. These phases or subcomponents are generally given names, generally given names that indicate the type of work done. Get it? Not the management of the work, but the work itself. For example, if I'm baking a cake, I would say mix ingredients. Bake cake, light oven, heat oven. If I was working on a software project, I would say analysis, design, develop, test, maintenance, feasibility study, such and such. If I was working on a construction project, I might say design, build, and things such as that. And that is what the PMI have here. And the reason why I'm giving you this question is I want you to know that what we call process groups, they are not the same thing as a phase. The answer to this is commissioning and lessons learned. If you look at page 20, you can see commissioning and lessons learned. And those are the best options, okay? A is process groups. What we have learned from this question, process groups are not phases. Okay, so it's a very revealing question, but that's what you need to know. Okay, so page 20, all the other options are not project phases. All right, let us relaunch. And here is a very robust question And it reads, you have been called upon by management to perform a project assessment based on available information and lessons learned from previous projects. This will require meetings with relevant stakeholders in order to support the evaluation of the feasibility of a new product for the next fiscal year which of the following will be an output of this endeavor? Give you one minute and 50 seconds on the clock.
five, four, three, two, and one. Thank you very much. Let's take a look. So, keywords that reveal the answer as follows. The word feasibility. That is one of the key words. And it says, a project assessment based on available information and lessons learned. So, some of these you can immediately eliminate. You know that it's not a project charter. A project charter is not a feasibility study, nor does it use a feasibility study per se. By the time you get to a project charter, it is so far gone that it cannot be D, which nobody chose. C says no-go decision. Well, what if you do decide to do it? Because a question doesn't say you're not going to decide, so it cannot be C either. So it leaves you with two, benefits plan and project business case. Now, on the PMP exam, when you see words that try to distract you, you need to really know what you're talking about because a business case, a project business case, whatever, same thing. A benefits management plan is different. It's not to evaluate anything. See, a benefits management plan is not to evaluate feasibility. No, it's to target the benefits and to say, all right, if we're doing this, these are the benefits we're going to get. It's not a feasibility. But the business case is what? An economic feasibility study. So I want you to look at page 30 and 77 again and let it marinate, let it sink in as you study. These are the reasons why I'm doing this so that you know how bad these people can be. A question like that is fair game all day long on the PMP exam. So you really need to know your documents, your inputs, your outputs. You really have to know I'm cold, okay? But well done. I know that this is new to some of you and you've had a, a long day and you know you, that might have, have added to the mix, but it's all good. The more resilient we are, the better it's going to be. So being dogged, rugged, and tough is what we need to be. Let's move on to our next process. So we've talked about develop project charter, develop project management plan, director manage project work. Now we're going to one of my favorites, which is called manage project knowledge. And why is it my favorite? Well, it's one of my favorites because a lot of organizations are just wasting money by working on projects and absolutely goofing on the projects and not realizing where they goofed, where they made a mistake, and they are not sharing that information in lessons learned. They should. So the output of this, as you can see here, the lessons learned register, very important. The lessons learned register is all over the place. Now, the lessons learned register contains two types of knowledge that you're trying to pass across things that you might have learned explicitly and things you might have learned tacitly. Whatever the lessons learned are, it is our duty to find the best medium to convey them. If lessons learned are best done face-to-face, -face, make an attempt to catalog it, but at the same time, make sure you're connecting people to people. 
What do we call that? If we're connecting people to people, we call it knowledge management. So Allison has worked on a project. She discovered a lot of great stuff. Phil is a junior project manager. He needs to discover that stuff as well. Why let him make all the dumb mistakes himself? Why not say, Allison, you mentor Phil and let some tacit knowledge be shared. Share with him how you knew those mistakes were going to come back and bite you on the project and how you put this risk mitigation strategy in place to protect you. School him, tell him, help him. That's tacit knowledge. That is your knowledge management. But what if what Allison learned can be shared in a document that will explicitly give Phil the same awareness? We could put in a document. We call that information management. Information management is connecting people to documents. Knowledge management is connecting people to people. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like connecting people to people. Because you know that when you communicate face-to-face, -face, you have 55% of body language that you can really tap into. It tells you a lot about those lessons learned. But we cannot have every lessons learned face-to-face. -face, so we've got to have library services and all that stuff that falls under information management. Okay? Now, what exactly are we getting out of this? What's in it for us? Lessons learned register. So I want you guys to follow me. Let's read very quick. I want to show you these two information management and knowledge management. So this is under 4.4. You're following along. And let's go to page 102. 102, knowledge management. Knowledge management tools and techniques connect people. Connect people so they can work together to create new knowledge, share tacit knowledge, and integrate the knowledge. So you've got tacit and explicit. You've got to remember, tacit knowledge is hard to document, and it's hard to convey by writing it down. A lot of times, it's better connecting people to people to share it. On the flip side, let's go to information management, page 103. It says, information management tools and techniques are used to create and connect people to information. Here's the document. Versus, meet with Allison, she'll put you straight. You get what I'm saying? So in this area, both of these things, knowledge management and information management, I talked about. And your major output, let's take a quick look at that one. The Lessons Learned Register on page 104, it says, the Lessons Learned Register is created as an output of this process early in the project. Thereafter, it is used as an input and updated as an output in many processes throughout the project. At the end of this page 104, it says, at the end of a project, the information is transferred to an organizational process asset known as a lessons learned repository. So what is this really saying? Let me give you a visual of this real quick. So when we're talking about this process, we have project one. Project one has its own lessons learned register. We have project two. It has its own lessons learned register. Project three, it has its own lessons learned register. 
where are they all going into this big old OPA? And what is the specific OPA? The Lessons Learned Repository. That's how it all comes together. Rochelle's project, Yasser's project, Allison's project, Margaret's project, it's all funneling into one Lessons Learned Repository. And then Phil, the external person who is not in any of these projects, he's using his information management knowledge, information management technique, I beg your pardon, to tap in to all of their projects. He's going into that Lessons Learned Repository. He is digging out all the stuff he needs. That's how this stuff works, okay? So that is the process known as manage project knowledge. And manage project knowledge, like I said, it has a very unique, very unique output. That output does not appear anywhere else, anywhere else as an output except that process. That is the first place um, that you see it as an output. You will see project documents updates and under that you have lessons learned and yeah, that's all well and good, but this is the place that you find it explicitly listed as a lessons learned register as the output. All right, let's get into the goal zone, the goal, the goal, the goal on the exam. What are they gonna test you on? These things, information management, knowledge management, um, and of course your output, the lessons learned register, they're gonna harp and harp on that. The small stuff like the inputs and all that, they don't really get that much into it except they are unique. Now with that said, there is one unique thing about this process. You know, I often joke about it that it, it reminds me of a cannibal because it's eaten what it gave you. <laughs> it's a cannibal process. So, so look, lessons learned register is an input, but at the same time, lessons learned register is an output. I say, why are you eating your lessons learned register? Jokes apart, you know that there is an iterative flow, the iterations of lessons learned out, more lessons learned coming in to help you. So it's a rather unique process in that your lessons learned register is used to help itself. You get a lessons learned register and then that, some lessons learned are gonna help the process of managed project knowledge. So the lessons learned say, oh, the knowledge is not very good being shared like this. We can do better in this process by sharing the lessons learned like that. And it just becomes a river. You're getting lessons learned that pertain to not just managed project knowledge, but everything on the project. And this becomes the conduit for you to share those lessons learned. It's kind of remarkable. I know I sound like a nut right now, let me move on. Monitor and control project work. This is where you get work performance reports. So the major thing you're getting from monitor and control project work is that, the very first one, it's unique. You do not get work performance reports from anywhere except here. Now, I wanna remind you, these work performance reports, there is a method to the madness of how they come together, and that is what I wanna share with you very quickly. So let's change gears here and talk about these WPRs. And I'm gonna give you a reminder, let's go down memory lane. We talked about WPD before. A raw observation that Phil, a resource on the project, is not going to be available for five days. 
you need to analyze that in the context of schedule, cost, scope, ETC. Now, you project managers already do this. If someone says, oh, I'm not going to be available, you know, you're already thinking, does that hurt my project? Oh, yeah, it does. You, you think like that. Now, you may not need to have a big old dog and pony show putting up a projector and putting up a spreadsheet. No, you just immediately know, all right, the implication of this raw observation of this raw statement is all of these things. All those things, we call it work performance information. By the time you have analyzed your work performance data, sometimes you do it rapidly. Other times you, need a, you do need a spreadsheet, other times. Other times you need to sit down with people and work out what that means. And another example is someone says, we got 10 defects. Okay, what does that mean? You need to sit down and ask, oh my gosh, we got 10 defects. That's scrap, that's rework. This is the amount of money we got to part with. This is going to dig into our profits. Get what I'm saying? So a raw observation needs to be analyzed regardless what it is. When you've analyzed it, it becomes work performance information. And that work performance information needs to be put into a report. So it starts off with direct and managed project work. Remember I told you this gives you WPD. Nowhere else does. WPD goes into all monitoring and controlling processes outside, outside of integration. This is very important for you to grasp. So I want to slow down here and make sure you're truly getting it. Let me draw a box around these relationships for you. First of all, I said work performance data comes from here. Okay? Direct to manage project work. Okay. Work performance data then becomes an input to all of these processes in monitoring and controlling outside of integration. It does not go to anywhere in integration, but it goes to all of the other processes in all the other knowledge areas. That is WPD right there. Do you get my point? WPD. So I'm going to draw a box so that you remember this is work performance data. Work performance data right here. So WPD, work performance data, is going from director managed project work into all of these monitoring and controlling processes outside of integration. Get it? Now, all of these same processes, all of them, they will then give you an output known as work performance information. So all of these processes, they are going to give you something, and I'll make this green, they are going to give you work performance information. The analysis of Phil is not available. They're going to give you work performance information. Oops, let's do that with a different color so that you can actually see it. Work performance information. There we go. All right. 
what happens to this work performance information? So it becomes an output. Work performance information is an output of all of these guys. And where does it go? Back to integration to be integrated into a report. Get it? So WPI is going back to integration. I'm gonna make this a different color. So WPI goes back, but this time it goes into monitor and control project work. Right there. Now you will never forget this one because we've talked about it so much. I am going to share with you as my custom is this very important finding. So if you look at the chat box in the next few minutes, you'll see that it is flashing and it has sort of message saying, Phil has shared something with you. So I have shared with you screenshot one. I would like you to save that and capture what I created just now to remind you, okay? That will remind you of the relationships. Very, very important. All right, now with that said, let us go back to our schematic of WPD, WPI, WPR and round up. So work performance data goes to all of these processes within monitoring and controlling, outside of integration, you get your work performance information from them. It goes to monitor and control project work and that gives you a work performance report and that work performance report goes to perform integrated change control, manage team, manage communications, monitor risks. The way I remember that I say it goes to three M's and one P, manage, team, manage communications, monitor risks. Now, if you really boil it down, I need my work performance reports to go into performing a greater change control. Why? Well, think about it. Let's say Phil is on the change control board and he's trying to make a decision about Brittany's project. It would make sense for Brittany to say, Phil, well, do you know these things are happening on the project. So before you make a judgment call on this change request, you might want to know that we are actually trying to catch up. If we do this, it's going to put us back even further. I look at the work performance report and I say, oh, thanks. We're not doing it. I strike it off and say, that's the end. Make my decision as a change control board. So here's a relevant input here. Let's look at another scenario. Brittany is a project manager managing her team. She needs to give the team feedback on how they're performing. How best to do that than with a work performance report? Makes sense. What about managed communications? Same project, she needs to send the information out to stakeholders. So you've got a work performance report, but you need to distribute it. How you distribute it? Using the process, manage communications. Do you see the relevance of this? And then lastly, in monitor risks, you wanna take a look at the overarching work performance report because risk is a melting pot that brings everything together. Scope risk, 
schedule risk, cost risk, resource risk, contractual risk. You see, that's why in monitor risk, you need your work performance report. As simple as that. And that's the map of the world of WPD, WPI, WPR. As usual, I am going to share this particular screenshot with you just to make sure that we truly got it. I want to make sure that we really did get it. So one more time. Let's capture it. And let's drag it into chat so everybody has got it. This is one of the sacred cows of the PMI. It is a very important concept. And a lot of people who have taken the exam say, thank you, Phil, for that image. Without it, I couldn't have done it. Anyway, so monitoring control project work, like I said, work performance reports is a big thing. All right, let us move on to our very next process. After monitor and control project work, let's get into the goal zone for a quick second. Goal zone, um, definitely you, you need to remember it's right here somewhere, work performance information. This is the only place you see it as an input to monitor and control project work. You don't see it going anywhere else. And then still in the goal zone, your work performance report does not come from anywhere else. That is very important, okay? Agreements also makes a rare parent. You don't see it in many places as an input, okay? So that's your goal for that one. Moving into performing a greater change control, I kind of gave that analogy of Brittany's project. Well, this is where we have, as you can see, work performance reports coming in. So you get your work performance report coming into this process is gonna help you make a decision whether to approve or reject a change request, whether you are the change control board, whether you are someone else in a decision-making um, position, you make a decision and what happens? You're gonna come out with one of these. You're either gonna have an approved change request or you're gonna have a project document update which will allude to a rejection. So this process is a bit of a finicky one. I need to go straight into the details just so you get it. So if you take a look at this, you can see the change log is mentioned, but it is shuffled under project documents updates. I didn't like that. I said, PMI, why did you hide it? People need to know that there is a change log. Don't just say it's a project document update. It's a very important log. So they shuffled it under there and it's, sort of lost in transmission, I didn't like it. I took offense, I took it personally. <laughs> oh dear, but um, that change log, and I'll share the screen right now so you can see what it looks like. It would look something like this. You have a change ID, a category, a description of the change, Submitted, submitted date, the status, is it open, is it closed, is it approved, rejection, or whatever. So you got disposition, which tells you if it's approved, rejected, on hold. Um, status could mean a, a number of things. You decide what it means in your firm, but that's how the change log looks, okay? 
Um, also in this section, we could talk about what a change request could look like. So let me show you right quick what a change request looks like. In the same token, this is a change request. Well, let's talk a little bit about this process. You see, people often get this process wrong because they are thinking about the change control board as being mandatory. The change control board is not mandatory. There are some instances where there's no change control board. And this is what I have to show you just so that you take away a very substantial amount of information regarding one of the most popular processes in the PMP exam. Follow me to page 113 of your favorite book, I hope. I hope it's your favorite book. <laughs> It says, perform integrated change control is the process of reviewing all change requests, approving changes, and managing changes to deliverables. And not just deliverables, project documents. You do know some documents need special approval to control, is what they're talking about. And the project management plan and communicating the decisions. So what are they saying in essence? Turn the page over. It says, the perform integrated change control process is conducted from start through completion and is the ultimate responsibility of the project manager. You see that? These are very weighty words. So if I were you, I would highlight ultimate responsibility of the project manager. You gotta make sure that you are integrating change control. Phil can't just come to your project and say, can I have more please? No, follow the approved process. Okay, follow the approved process, Phil. That's what you need to tell him. It says changes may be requested by any stakeholder, any stakeholder, you see, so just beware of this. On the exam, you've got to understand that you can't just say no at random to some change request. It says that you should consider those change requests from any stakeholder involved with the project. And it says it may occur at any time throughout the project lifecycle. Let's go to the next paragraph. It says, before the baselines are established, changes are not required to be formally controlled. What are they saying? We are in planning. The plan hasn't been stamped. You're getting to closing out a particular piece of the knowledge area plans and you say, oh, I don't want to do it like this anymore. PMI says, that's not changed worthy. You're not done with the plan, so just go ahead and change it. That's what they're saying. And that's why in planning, you typically do not see Typically, there's, there's one place where you typically do not see change requests. Okay, it says, as a general rule, each project's configuration management plan should define which project artifacts need to be placed under configuration control. Any change in a configuration element should be formally controlled and will require a change request. So if it is deemed configurable and the team says we need to control this. Management says you need to control it. You, you better control it. 
It says, although changes may be initiated verbally, they should be recorded in written form and entered into the change management and or configuration management system. Change requests may require information on estimated schedule impacts and estimated cost impacts prior to approval. And then it says, whenever a change request may impact any of the project baselines, it's a very important one, a formal integrated change control process is always. It is so important, I had to highlight the words in pink over there, always, always required. Th that can save you some marks on the exam, whichever exam, current exam, pilot exam, doesn't matter. You need to know this stuff. Now, it says, every documented change request needs to be either approved, deferred, or rejected. Every, every documented change request, everyone, needs to be either approved, deferred, or rejected by a, did it say CCB? No, responsible individual. Usually the project sponsor or project manager. Boom, they just gave it to you. In other words, they're telling you the CCB is not the be all end all and it's not required on every project. Let's read further. It says, two lines down, when required, the Perform Integrated Change Control process includes a Change Control Board, CCB, which is a formally chartered group responsible for reviewing, evaluating, approving, deferring, or rejecting changes. But in say on every project, where required. Okay? Last but not least, I want you to take a look at the final paragraph. Here's why. On a change control board, you may or may not have the customer. The customer may not be on the change control board. The sponsor may not be on the change control board. But what, what happens if you want to make a change? Then you need to bring those people into the discussion. And that's what is in the final paragraph. It says, these changes can require adjustments to the project management plan and other project documents. Customer or sponsor approval may be required for certain change requests after CCB approval, unless they are part of the CCB. So this is very important for you to know. Going into the gold zone, for the gold zone, I would say your work performance reports is very important because it's a unique input. It doesn't happen in a lot of places. We saw four places. Um, also, change control tools does not appear anywhere else in the PEMBOK guide, but here, that's gold. And last but not least, your outputs. Approved change requests and the change log, they do not appear anywhere else as outputs, but here. Very important. All right, let's move into the grand finale. Close this knowledge area out. We have done such a great job with this. And it's very important because integration is a beast. You see, on the exam, a lot of people don't know. If you're taking the current exam, integration is roughly 25%. That is huge, 25%. So you, you need to know integration down pat. And it's seven processes. So think about it. I know you're looking at the time like, Phil, 
oh my gosh, you spent almost one, one and a half hours on one knowledge. Yeah, let's get real. There are seven processes. Compare that with communications where there are three. I would, I would have done communications, procurements, and probably one other one by now. But it's important that we really get down to the bottom. So while it looks like we're spending a long time on this, it is foundational. It is so important. But once we're done, it will be off to the races with the other. So let's talk about this process, okay? We have the project charter coming into close project or phase. It's a bit of an anomaly. You don't see it very often. We also have a rare appearance of business documents and agreements as inputs. We have the usual suspects as tools and techniques, but the outputs has some pretty unique stuff. Final product service or result transition, that is very important, and final report is very important. So you're, you're transitioning the deliverable to the customer and you are getting a final report of did the project meet the mark? What happened? ETC, ETC. All right, getting to the gold zone now. The gold zone, um, what I would say in the inputs for the gold zone, the project charter coming in here is rather unique. And then you've got accepted deliverables coming in here. That is very unique. Let's put that one under the microscope here. So you can see the accepted deliverables are from validate scope. And if you don't have accepted deliverables, then you cannot close the project. If your customer has not accepted the deliverable, you can't close the project. So that is a very important input to this process. Uh, the tools and techniques is business as usual. The outputs, like I said, uh, final product service or result transition and final report. Those are so, so important, okay? And my friends, that concludes pretty much what we've been looking at. We've been looking at closed project or phase and the whole of integration and that pretty much closes it out. And we are done with integration. Questions on integration. So what I would like you to do when we're done, maybe tomorrow when you've got enough energy, I want you to take the project integration management quiz on the learning management system. And then when you get done with the easiest of the quizzes, I want you to look for the challenge quiz. When you're done with the challenge quiz, I want you to go for the 2020 quiz. I want you to really reinforce yourself because the PMI are going to be looking for knowledge. That's just the truth. They are going to be looking for it. So with that done, we have come to an intermission point of sorts where we kind of gather ideas, answer any questions on integration, and then move swiftly into scope management. Are there any questions or concerns? Because we will be moving into scope management next. Questions? Going once, twice. All right. Seems as though we did a good job and it's time to move on to scope so I can get you guys out of here after we do scope and schedule. So why don't we just dunk you straight into a little bit of fun with the polls. So let's relaunch. And here is your very first scope question. You are using prototypes and context diagrams as a tool and technique to a process. This process will give you an output. 
What is it? One minute, 12 seconds. Go. All right, let's end the poll and let's share the results. So we didn't have much contribution here, but um, the answer to this, it seems like um, some folks had an idea about it. And that was the uh, majority of those who jumped in. So for your exam, as I've said in the past, you need to know cold your tools and techniques. Because what we're seeing here is clearly very clearly a tool and technique of collecting requirements and the output of it of collect requirements is what it's not requirements log it's not risk log it's not project scope statement it is the requirements traceability matrix okay it is the matrix, the matrix, my friends. <laughs> okay, that's what it is. All right, now every now and again, I give you a question, but I can't spend the whole session giving you questions. This is really a knowledge impartation session. That's why I'm going really rapidly to make sure you get all the information needed. All right, so no fluff and no time for my usual fooling around and joking around, going straight into it. All right, why don't we start off at the very first process of scope? This is going to go pretty quick. So let's talk about plan scope management. Plan scope management is the process where you develop a plan for how to manage scope and requirements. It is that simple. Scope management plan, requirements management plan and you need to know the details of what is in each plan at a high level the scope management plan guides you on how to elaborate on your scope how to document your scope and how to manage your scope some companies they've got no idea how to scope out their projects 
they are not using a WBS, they do not have a project scope statement, they obviously have not done this process because if they had done this process on their projects, it will answer the question, how are we gonna scope out this thing? Or it would have pointed people in the right direction. This is where you can get a template. This stuff, we've done it all before. This is how we scoped it out. Here's pretty much a template, use it. That's what this process is. So if you already have a plan that has worked on similar projects, the PMI is not asking you to reinvent the wheel. They're only asking you to share, how are we gonna scope it out? Okay, well, we've already done half of the work. We've scoped out many similar projects. We are building on, on a similar terrain. We're building on similar soil. We've already done so much work, so much history exists. This is how we did it, and this is how we're gonna do it again. Okay, but for new technology projects, such as one I was invited to, they invited my buddy Colin and I to come out and have a WBS scoping out meeting. So we went out there and scoped out this very intricate scientific system to keep it confidential. By the time we were done, all the eggheads in the room, all the scientists, all the bright people who had these lofty great ideas, but they, they didn't know how to put it together. What helped them? Scope management. So we came in there and we told them, all right, this has to be our plan. So in other words, we pretty much gave them a plan for how to manage scope. And we gave them an idea about how their requirements could be managed. And boom, we started working with them on scope. By the time we were done, they had a WBS and they just went crazy from there. They were so happy about this WBS. But it starts off with a plan. How are we going to scope out the project? How are we going to collect requirements? And that's what the PMI is telling you here in five Point one. 5.1 gives you two outputs. Let's go to page 137. The first thing you're going to get is a scope management plan. It says scope management plan is a component of the project management plan that describes how the scope will be defined, developed, monitored, controlled, validated, ETC. It says it is the process. It says the components of the scope management plan include process for preparing a project scope statement. How are we gonna create a project scope statement? All right, the way we're gonna do it is we will have this person work with a template, collaborate with these people, source the inclusions in this way, whatever it is, you see? Process that enables the creation of the WBS from the detailed project scope statement. All right, how do I create my WBS? What, what, are, the, what are the steps? You as a project manager, you need to figure it out. There's so many moving parts on this thing. Can I do it in isolation? No, I need to get everyone in the room. How am I gonna get them to participate? That is what my buddy Colin and I did for this company. Brought us in by the time we were done, all of these random ideas that seemed to be all over the place. We whipped it into shape. We gave them a WBS, they couldn't believe it. They loved it. Now, that deliverable from the project, I just heard a few weeks ago, that the project moved along so well and they're about to launch that system, that scientific system. So this stuff works, my friends, I'm telling you. I've seen it all, I've done it all. I ain't just training you this stuff, I've done it. I've used it, you see? Project charter going in, we already know what that is. EDM, you're gonna see this EDM thing quite a lot. Expert judgment, data analysis, meetings. 
You're going to see it in plan scope management, plan schedule management, plan cost management, and many of the other plan something management. You're going to see EDM, expert judgment, data analysis, meetings. All right, so that's boilerplate. And then your output, you're going to see uh, scope management plan and requirements management plan as the outputs in a PMBOK guide. The second one, though, we haven't talked about the requirements management plan, but it's really just a plan for how to manage requirements. All right. Now, with that said, why don't we get into the gold zone and see if there's any gold to share regarding this one. Gold zone. What is the gold? Apart from the project charter and EDM, that tip I said, on the exam, they may try to trick you about the requirements traceability matrix, the requirements management plan, requirements documentation. They try to mix them up. So you really need to know that from this process, you're not getting any matrix. No. You may get the format of the matrix, right? You may get the format of the documentation, but you ain't getting the real completed documentation. You could craft templates of how it will look. You could come out with a decision about how you're going to rank the requirements, how you're going to trace the requirements, how you're going to number the requirements, but you do not have the requirements here. All you have is the plan. That piece, they can test you on that on the exam. And they could also try to mess around the importance of managing scope and managing requirements. They could try to muddy the water. So you do need to know page 137 really well. Let's take a quick read. In a practice guide for business analysis, I'm paraphrasing, this requirements management plan is sometimes called a business analysis plan. It's right there on page 137, a business analysis plan. It's really just a requirements management plan. What does it answer? How requirements will be planned, tracked, and reported? How you're going to configure your documents or your um, configuration management activities, how changes will be initiated, how impacts will be analyzed, how they will be tracked and reported, which could kind of come into play with some other project documents. But the bottom line is how are we going to track changes, um, not to documents per se, but requirements related documents specifically. Um, requirements prioritization process, bullet point three, metrics for tracking requirements. So, you know, some teams as they go through requirements, they say, oh, we've done 50 out of 100 requirements. They use that as a sort of basis for measurement, measurements. That's what they're talking about here. And they say traceability structure. Now, with all that said, we've got to make it pragmatic. I have to show you what exactly all this stuff looks like. Oh, it's just babble, right? So let me pull out a requirements traceability matrix and a requirements management plan. Let's start first with the requirements management plan because that's the process we're in. All right, there you go. So there's your requirements management plan. You can see how you're going to collect the requirements. Break it down. What are the categories that we're going to have in our requirements traceability matrix? Break it down. How are we going to prioritize the requirements? Again, break it down. On and on and on. All that stuff. See? So that's your requirements management plan. And um, we have other documents that begin with the word requirement, but we are not going to look at those just yet. 
we are moving from this into our next process, collect requirements, and now I can actually show you these. So in collect requirements, you can see we've got the project management plan. Why do you think we've got the project management plan? Because it contains the requirements management plan, most importantly, you know? And then we also have the scope management plan that is part of now the project management plan. Because you know everything fits in there. But if I was to give you more details, if you, if you look in the PMBOK guide, you see the bullets of what exactly is in the project management plan on page 138. You can see the scope management plan and requirements management plan I mentioned there. All right. So what are you getting from here? Like I said, collect requirements gives you the requirements traceability matrix. We saw that from the question time we did. And you've also got requirement documentation. Now, what are the differences? Let's take a look at an example of requirements traceability matrix and requirements documentation. Let's start off looking at requirements documentation. Here we go. You see requirements documentation here, pretty much just requirements collected in a document. But the key thing about this, requirements documentation, if you look at the PMBOK guide, it tells you, it describes how the requirements meet the business need. That is so important. That is one of the things that requirements documentation should do. How does the requirement meet the need of the business? I want you to take a look at page 147, and I want you, like I have done, to highlight it, okay? Requirements documentation describes how individual requirements meet the business need for the project, all right? That's your requirements documentation. And next, I want to show you requirements traceability matrix. So let me open that up. RTM, requirements traceability matrix. Here we go. There's your matrix. What does it show you? It really shows you how the requirements map back to their origin. In other words, who asked for it? See? So now you've got an idea what exactly these things are, okay? Requirements, documentation, requirements, traceability matrix. Now getting into the gold zone for the exam, all of these requirements, they're all important, but there's some which are pretty unique. Context diagrams and prototypes were on the last question. These two are very unique to this process. That said, there are a number of other ones, my friends, and you need to be aware of some of these. So I'm going to attempt to bring some of these up so I can show you the importance of some of the details. So let me see if I can find my gold zone slide here. My gold zone slide is missing. I apologize. But let me read out to you in the PMBOK guide and you, you, you'll get an idea of what exactly I'm talking about. So in the PMBOK guide, 
tools and techniques of collect requirements on page 138. Look at how many are listed. Brainstorming, interviews, focus groups, questionnaires and surveys, benchmarking, my goodness. I mean, if we get into this, we probably ain't gonna leave here tonight. <laughs> so I think the most sensible thing for me to do right now is probably to give you a visualization of these very rapidly. Okay, so let's do that. Very rapidly, I will show you some of these concepts, if I can pull them up. This is one I do not want to compromise. All right. Let's go into the deep dregs of the grimy tools and techniques of <laughs> requirements collection. It is a necessary good. It's not an evil. <laughs> it is a good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I, I have to do it. I have to. So um, here we go. Fun and games in scope. Gotta love it. All right. So very rapidly, my friends, when we talk about collecting requirements, for the goal zone, you need to know all these things. And I'm, I'm taking some special time to alert you to the importance of these inconspicuous tools and techniques. Brainstorming, interviews, focus groups, questions and surveys, benchmarking, voting, MCDA, affinity diagrams, mind mapping, nominal group technique, observation, conversation, facilitation, context diagrams, prototypes. And I'm slowing it down because I know it's a lot of content, but I really want to make sure you know it. So I'm going to show it to you in slow motion. Interviews, interviewing people, focus groups, focusing groups of people to decide on requirements, facilitated workshops, brings cross-functional groups together to decide on requirements, Brainstorming generates ideas from people. Nominal group technique takes the brainstormed ideas and votes to decide which ideas are best and should become requirements. Idea or mind mapping puts many ideas together on one map. So you have something that looks like this called a mind map. Affinity diagrams groups requirements by certain areas. MCDA takes a look at certain criteria against a requirement. Is this a high value requirement? What is the value on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the highest? Oh, it's a nine. Okay, what about that other one? Oh, the value of that is a three. Oh, let's not do it. But the ease to implement the three 
it's so easy to implement that it will give some value. For the other one that's a nine, it's gonna take us a lot of money. You do an MCDA, that's what it's all about. Group creativity techniques, which is not mentioned explicitly like this, but this is where we talk about brainstorming, nominal group technique, mind mapping, affinity diagrams, and so on. I've just bucketized them there. Voting, you can also vote. We call it decision-making now, but you make a decision as to whether to use a particular requirement or not. So my friends, this is why I wanted to show you this. There are a lot of them. For these, you gotta go onto the learning management system from Prazion and get those down, okay? So I've changed gears here. I am now on the next process, define scope. So define scope comes after collect requirements. And in define scope, what we are doing is really coming out with a project scope statement. The project scope statement is a document that captures inclusions and exclusions. What is on the project, what is not, okay? The goal zone for this, to be honest, is really about this document called a project scope statement. Now you can read up about this in the PMBOK guide a little bit more, but just remember the project scope statement is the detailed deliverable description. It is also inclusions, what is included in the project and exclusions, what is not on the project. Very important. Okay, let's shift gears here. Let's go into our next process, create WBS. Create WBS is where you are creating the work breakdown structure, the work breakdown structure dictionary, and the project scope statement. What are these three things known as? Chat in to me if you know what these three things are called. WBS, WBS Dictionary, Project Scope Statement. You put them all together, what does it give you? Anybody know? Hmm? It's something in scope <laughs> with the question mark. <laughs> I like that. Let me show you. A picture is worth a thousand words. Johanny, welcome, welcome. I am so glad you were able to join us. Well, we call this a scope baseline. The WBS, the WBS dictionary, and the project scope statement. Okay? That is a scope baseline. The three things that make the scope baseline. WBS, WBS Dictionary, Project Scope Statement. All right, that's the holy grail of our friends at the PMI. So in Create WBS, going straight into the gold zone, you need to know what your scope baseline is, all right? The scope baseline, the three things, WBS, WBS Dictionary, Project Scope Statement. Now real quick, this is a WBS. There are various components in the WBS. For your exam, you need to know what the components are. So I'm gonna give you a rapid review of these. 
the topmost level right here, that's called the root node or parent. Root node or parent. Now, under the parent level, management may say, Phil, I don't want to track your project at that level. I want to get into the weeds a little bit because I know you're a careless kind of guy and things are going to slip through the cracks. So management says, Phil, we're going to track you at a lower level. Those levels where management decides to impose certain control over Phil's project, we call it a control account. So if management says, all right, we're going to track the ingredients, the cake, the, the front. No, we're not, we're not going to track it at that high level. We're going to track it at these lower levels. Phil, that's a control account. It says a management control point to integrate time, cost, and scope. In other words, management wants to get into your business and see, are you really on track at the lower levels? Let's look at the low expenditures now, because that fell. Once upon a time, he's messed up this project. We want to keep, we want to keep track on him. So take a look here. If you follow me, all of these terms are not made up. <laughs> Some people are like, hmm, did he just make that up? <laughs> I did not make it up. Let's go to the glossary and check it out. Control account. Control account. Page 70702. Control account. A management control point where scope, budget, actual cost, and schedule are integrated and compared to earned value for performance measurements. Okay? So... All of this is really to sensitize you to go check out the LMS, okay? Here's the image again. So we have control accounts, as you can see, but we also have something called a planning package that espouses the idea about rolling wave planning. Now in rolling wave planning, we could say, all right, I know that I've got work to do in 1.3.2, but you know what? This element of work in 1.3.2, it is not happening until 2028. So what do you do? Planning package. You leave it at this high level. As you get closer to the time period, then you break it down. But until we get to 2028, 2027 maybe, we're just going to leave this as a planning package. It has known work content, but we are not decomposing it just yet. Maybe there are things that need to happen in the years leading up that will give us clarity on how to break down this planning package into lower levels, work packages, and then tasks. I'm going to talk about that stuff some other time. Work package, it's the lowest level in the WBS. So here's an example, that 1.3.1.1.2, that's the lowest level in the WBS. So assignment, I want you to look up control account, planning package, work package, okay? Don't worry, I'm keeping my BDI on the time. Let's talk about validate scope. This is very straightforward. This is where the customer reviews the deliverable. For that reason, you can see we've got inspection. This is where your customer is inspecting, inspecting the deliverable. Should I approve it? Yes or no? If they accept it, you get as an output accepted deliverables. If they reject it, you're going to get a change request. So for your exam, going straight into the gold zone, you gotta know how you got here. How did you get a verified deliverable there coming into this process? 
The answer is we first had a deliverable. It went to control quality to get checked. It got approved or it got stamped internal and then became a verified deliverable. And here it's coming to the customer for the customer to inspect it. All right, so on your exam, the gold zone pretty much know how you got here and how you end up with an accepted deliverable or a change request. You gotta understand that whole journey. And then of course, inspection and why you are voting as a customer. The customer is voting on whether to approve or reject the deliverable, all right? Last but not least in scope, we got control scope. And in control scope, there's really nothing that unique. The output, you've seen it before, is WPI. We've already talked about how you get to WPI. So what performance information, change requests, project management plan updates, project documents updates, nothing that unique. But what are we doing here? It says the mission, you see the mission up there? Mission, streamlining any scope changes through the right process and preventing unauthorized additions to project scope. And that, my friends, concludes scope management. Now we're going into schedule management. So, chat in to me. You have just completed sequencing activities. What should you do next? Tell me. You have just completed sequencing activities. What do you do next? Help me, someone. Thank you. You estimate activity durations. Brilliant. You just received a call from your project manager. You're the sponsor. Your project manager says, we're done with the scope baseline. We're done with the scope baseline. The scope baseline contains work packages, right? The project manager obviously needs to do something with the scope baseline. They need to break it down further into activities. What process do you call that? Your, your, your project manager says, we're done with the scope baseline. And then in your head, you know, oh, I know what's coming next. We're gonna break those down into activities. What do you call that? What do you call it? When you break down the scope baseline, decomposition, which part of the scope baseline are you gonna decompose? What is that part? Remember, there are three things I gotta remind you, there are three things in the scope baseline. Which one of these are you going to decompose into activities? Type into me, tell me, which one of those? Thank you, Vidya, Brittany, thank you very much. And Sadaf, thank you for chatting in, absolutely. So you guys are on a roll. Well, why don't we just jump straight into schedule? All right, process one. We call this plan schedule management. What you are going to achieve from this is direction and focus for scheduling. You're gonna know, oh, we're gonna use P6, Primavera. Oh, oh, we're gonna use Microsoft Pro Oh, forget Microsoft Projects, too convoluted. We're gonna use Smart Sheets. Smart Sheets? They build too much. Let's just use Excel. Okay, this is where you decide how to schedule. 
your major output is that, the schedule management plan. Goal zone for the exam, you gotta know what you're doing in schedule management. Units of measure, levels of accuracy, the whole mantra talked about in the Pembroke Guide as far as what is in the schedule management plan, you need to know, okay? The next process, which is what I was alluding to when I said, where do you decompose? It's define activities. So think about it. You get your WBS, but you're going to break down your WBS work package into tinier, tinier pieces. Now, these pieces are not going to become part of the WBS. They are going to become part of what will eventually be a schedule. So from this process, define activities, we are going to get an activity list. We're going to get activity attributes, and we're going to get a milestone list. Activity list, activity attributes, milestone list. Let's take a look at them one by one. Activity list. Oh, it's just a list of activities and a description of the work. Easy peasy lemon squeezy, ain't it? Activity list. Well, that was easy. That wasn't a big deal. All right. What else do we have? Something known as activity attributes. Let's take a look at what this is. Activity attributes further describe an activity in more detail. So you'll have the activity there, but guess what? It's going to show you predecessors, the relationship between one task and another, leads or lags that may be associated with the activity, its successor, right? The number and type of resources required for that activity. What about skill requirement? Oh, I need a very skilled resource. I need someone who's done critical path analysis before and someone who knows a bit about construction. I need a high level resource for this one. Do you need any other resources? Oh, yeah, 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 I need, I need, a, I need a helicopter, I need a, a ship, I need a boat, I need a tank. Why? Because we're doing this across the United States and the world. We're building in some very obscure places, so I need to be able to jump in to my helicopter or my plane, or I need to go out to the middle of nowhere because we're building all sorts of structures. This is where you describe in a lot of detail what exactly you need to run the activity. So we call it an activity attribute. Last but not least, we have a milestone list, which is a list of milestones. Simple as that. This is simple stuff. Now, the honest truth about all these things I'm showing you is that in some software tools, it already exists just like that. Microsoft Project has activities listed. You could put the attributes in it. You could add the resources, all that stuff. So sometimes software has already solved the problem. All right, gold zone for the exam is pretty much those things. Activity list, activity attributes, milestone list, you gotta know them. Next, we sequence the activities. So we sequence the activities in logical order. Please watch chapter six in great detail because we have network diagrams talked about. 
there is no way we're even getting into network diagrams tonight. No way. So we get project schedule network diagrams as an output and project documents updates. You've got to know your schedule network diagrams. I want you to go to the LMS and watch the roughly three or four hour videos on that. Gold zone, PMI loves their schedule network di diagrams. Let's move on. Estimate activity durations, very simple here. In order to get your duration estimates, you need to have an idea of what is the plan and what are the documents such as resource requirements and things such as that. So there are a number of tiny little sub things that you need to know, tinier things. So if you take a look here, I have resource requirements, that is important. Based on the resources, you can do it in a day. If you have useless, crummy resources, I don't have my vessels, I don't have my ships, I don't have my private planes, my jets to move around, it's gonna take me longer. It's gonna take me a month. But if I have all those vessels, the chopper, the, the ship, the tanks, whatever it is, I can, I can go across any terrain and I can get there, do my work, come back. So the resources you have, be they physical or even human, maybe you've got labor that is not that up to speed. They need more time than a skilled person. It's gonna take longer, all right? So duration, the duration estimates, they're gonna be influenced by your resource requirements and the resource calendars and all this other stuff, okay? We got one more after this, develop schedule. The big thing you're doing here is you're putting everything together. You're putting together your activities, the dependencies, ETC. What are you getting? A schedule baseline. What is a schedule baseline? The difference between the schedule baseline and the project schedule, that one is etched in stone, management approved it, this one is your living, breathing schedule that you're dealing with every day. Last but not least, getting into the gold zone. Um, on the exam, you've got to know these unique things. Schedule baseline, project schedule, schedule data, project calendars. Those are very unique. Okay? Last but not least, control schedule. Nothing unique going in, really. We, we can see WPD. Uh, we haven't really seen it anywhere else, so I haven't called your attention to it, even though it was in control uh, scope and validate scope, but WPD goes into all monitoring and controlling processes outside of integration. WPI is your major output, but oh, schedule forecast, that is a big one. These tools and techniques, they are also very important. I'm not gonna address them today, but you wanna keep your eye on leads, lags, resource optimization, schedule compression, that's holy grail. So under schedule compression, crashing, fast tracking, that kind of stuff, you need to pay attention to it, right? Schedule compression, crashing and fast tracking, resource optimization, resource leveling and resource smoothing, and all of this minutia here, pay close attention to it because these will help you. The more detail you know, the more powerful you're gonna be on the exam, okay? I don't wanna keep you beyond what I said, I told you, I'll take you from six to eight Eastern. I see it's 8.01. But what I'm gonna do is stop for tonight. Next week, we continue again. We're gonna start midway into somewhere around towards the end of scope. And then we're gonna to jump to somewhere around the end of schedule. And then we're gonna take a pragmatic look at WBSs, 
and the project schedule, okay? And we're gonna take a look at network diagrams as well, okay? So thank you very much for coming for this first one. If you have any questions I can answer, now will be a great time for us to talk about that. Anything confusing you that you need further information about, I would love to answer those for you. So thank you very much. Those of you who are just joining, welcome to the party. We have a few new members tonight. Thank you for coming. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday because we are meeting for four hours on Saturday. Um, those of you that want to sign up for the Agile class because you had a, a kind of pre-taste, but I will be sharing information. I'm gonna stop this recording and I will share the information with you. All right, thank you very much. And I'll speak to you Saturday. Bye for now.